Well, hey, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Uh, I know it's been some weeks now. Thank you for joining us this morning. I know you are in the building, but I am here video casting to you. So, so great to see you guys, even though I'm not really seeing you. But I just want to let you know, we're doing fine. The family's doing great. We're so excited uh, to be back out and uh, we're excited to move forward for the kingdom of God. And we will. We'll continue moving forward for the kingdom of God. You know, these uh, last couple of weeks, we've been working through the book of Jonah. We've talked about GPS, God's plan or God's pursuit of sinners. And so I wanted to share with you, just kind of looking back from chapter one, we talked about what is your destination. And in that box, when you're looking for a place to go to for directions, you can write different multiple things in there. And we kind of likened it to what would it look like if you would put in your box those who are far away from God. And then in chapter two, we noticed that with Jonah going from chapter one into chapter two, when he was hurled over the ship, thrown into the sea, that we recognize in the chapter two that the big fish, God appointed a great big fish to come and swallow him up to save him, to save him from where he was at. Actually, people would think that, wow, did God allow him to die? But no, he saved him from his situation because he denied God. He wanted to go in the opposite direction to Tarshish, 2,500 miles. But instead, what he did was, as he was going that way, God said, no, I want to save him, take him, place him in a pit in the belly of a whale to speak to him and to share with him and to challenge him of the importance of walking with me and grabbing a hold of my agenda of reaching those who are far away, the Ninevites who are wicked and evil people. So he wanted to teach him something new. And so he was in the pit of the belly of the fish. And there we called it, what's your pit stop? Where is it that God's talking to you and speaking to you and trying to grab a hold of your heart to change your heart? to really prepare you for repentance. And then in chapter three, we ask the question, what is your turnabout or turnaround point? And your turnaround point is important because that's repentance. That's recognizing that you need to find that place where you can repent something where you're going in one direction, but turnabout face, you're going into another direction toward God. And as you're going toward God, you're recognizing that you're finding out who he is and what he wants to do in your life. And we recognized Ninevites, the king, where it started with the king and he surrendered his life as well as encouraged others. A good leader will encourage his people to do the same. And he went from not just people, he even went even to the, the animals that he said that they would. It was a custom of theirs to make sure all repented. And so when they did and they repented, God relented. And now in chapter four, we're about to approach and ask the question, what's your root? I mean, what's your root? You know, we're going to recognize and see and show forth that, you know, Jonah, what, which route did he take when God presented two roots in front of him? And, uh, you know, it likens to the GPS. When you open up your GPS and you put an address in the destination box, And as you look at the directions, before you choose the directions, it gives you two options, and sometimes even possibly three, of how to get to a certain place. They may offer you one or two directions or so, whether you're going with tolls or without tolls, whether something's slowing down or it's less minutes traveling, less miles, or maybe it's more miles but less traffic. 
And you, you have to decide at that point when you start, which route will you take? But while you decide which route to take, you don't know what's ahead of you. You don't know. Um, they might show you construction, but you don't know if an accident's coming. And so you have to decide. And when you do, you're on that route. And you'll learn as you drive on that route whether something is going to come up like a barricade or something that's going to slow you down. I've seen that a couple of times in my travels, even in recent months where we were traveling back home to Maryland and we stopped in the middle of a highway standstill for about 25 minutes. And there was a helicopter above us. This was late at night. And we just didn't, I didn't know what was going on. My son and I were together and we just didn't know what was going on, but we had to wait. And while we waited, um, it was amazing that it took that long. So we didn't know that was coming ahead. Thankfully, no one got hurt. I think it was a precautionary measure, but it was a route that we took from the very beginning. And I think about when we're, when we're looking at this, the Lord pronounced judgment upon the Ninevites. And Jonah in chapter 3 announced it. At the end of 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. So when Jonah put that in his destination box, he was convinced, yes, that the Ninevites will be overthrown by God and God will finally judge them. They deserve it. They're a wicked, evil people. Yet the Lord offered his compassion, mercy, and grace to the people of Nineveh. And due to their willingness to repent, the Ninevites, God relented, as I mentioned, and withdrew his judgment toward the Ninevites. And how did Jonah feel about this? Well, we're going to learn in chapter 4 that he was angry. It was real clear. And there were two options, as I mentioned. And so we have to ask that question, which option did he really take? Which option should have he had taken? Could have embraced God's plan to reach the Ninevites and demonstrate a heart of compassion, which would have changed his heart. Or he could have traveled down the road of anger, frustration, pride, arrogance, bitterness, and rebellion. So in other words, he wasn't willing to repent before the Lord and choose his heart of compassion for God. So why was Jonah anger? Why was he angry? Was his anger pure selfishness? As a prophet, did he get angry because he was concerned the Lord was a big softy and would give in to the wicked sinner? Or was he concerned that the Israelites were going to see God as a pushover and continue living in sin and believe to get away with it? Was he just angry because he didn't believe the evil, wicked people of Nineveh deserve God's mercy and grace? See, now these are questions you got to have to ask because in choosing the route that God, of God's compassion and mercy and grace and love is not a, is, is not a weak message. And if we choose that, things are going to change in our lives. Our priorities are going to change. Something has to change. In your life, in my life, as the church, even today, we want to reach those who are far away from God. We have to be willing to change. And so it could be a habit. It could be a hobby. It could be something in your life that you're willing to say it's, it's got to happen. Or is that when sometimes we think if we're arrogant and prideful and angry towards those who do wrong, that we make a stance and we just say, no, we're not going to stand for it anymore. Is that a strong message? See, I don't think it is. I think we have to be careful because that's what Jonah, I think, was doing. 
So I'm going to ask that you stand back as we look at some things through the book of Jonah chapter 4. Because we have to know that when we know, when we're choosing the correct route, we know, when we know we're doing that, this is what happens when we know. Let's look at the first, the first step here. It's God's sovereign plan surpasses our short-sighted selfishness. Now let's just look at Jonah. Look at his life. Look at how he responded. So God's sovereign plan, as we've understood in the first four chapters, is that God wants to reach the Ninevites. He wants to reach them, although they're wicked and evil. And he wanted Jonah to join him. He did everything he could to have Jonah come to this place. He even had the Phoenician sailors who were polytheistic to come and look to to the God of Yahweh, the God of Elohim, and to be able to recognize that God wants to show forth himself to Gentiles. And here he's moving throughout this narrative and this, he's the agent moving this along. But here Jonah just doesn't seem to capture that thought or that compassion. Throughout each of the chapters, we see kind of Jonah kind of, flip-flopping, going back and forth. And here now in chapter four, we see that he's changing again from chapter three. And as we look at it, we have to read even so in chapter four, verse one, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. Verse one. Now let me just stop there and say this. See the word displeased, you would just think that he, he wasn't happy, but it's a little deeper than that in the Hebrew. It actually means to be evil. So what he's saying is that he was displeased with God that he would actually want to reach wicked, evil people. He actually saw God as being evil. And the Hebrew word is ra. Can you imagine? Would you ever think that if God wants to reach your neighbor and he wants to use you and change your priorities, change everything that you would want to do in your life and your agenda so that he could reach someone who's far away from him, that you would actually think that's an evil thing, that God is evil? I mean, that's where Jonah was at. That's where he was. He, he wasn't choosing God's sovereign plan. His short-sightedness, his selfishness was that he had to be right in this whole argument with God. So he was displeased with God and he was willing to defend himself. It's kind of like the talk show host today of news channels, news media. I'm sorry, I have to share it. But if you ever turn it on, all you see is the media fighting back and forth. Who's right? Which party's right? Which one has the right agenda and the right plan? And they're just arguing back and forth. And they even get to the point where they hate one another and each party thinks they're evil. That's kind of what happens when we, when we live a life thinking we have to be right all the time. And we miss out on the compassion that God has for us to reach. Because I think deep down, we think compassion and mercy and grace is a weak message. It's something where God is just a big softy and he lets everybody in. I mean, here he is preaching 40 days, 40 nights and saying, 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. And he thinks it's going to happen. And God says, no, I'm going to display my compassion on these people. It threw him for a loop. He got angry. And then if you look at the passage again, exceedingly, it means great in Hebrew. In other words, he's saying, this is really, really bad, God. This is really, really great. And you are doing something terrible. You're just being really evil right now for allowing these people to even have an option or an opportunity to come and understand and know who you are and your compassion and your love. And the word angry in this, you know, this whole passage just here in the verse one means to become hot. The wrath is kindled. 
So his hanger is just pushing him to the point where in the Hebrew it says, your nose has become hot because when we get angry, our nostrils flare up. That's what it means in the Hebrew. So if you ever catch your husband or wife or children, if you ever, you know, you ever catch your parents getting up, check their nostrils to see if they're really angry or not. Because I can assure you that I'm, I'm sure my nostrils are flaring up when I get angry too. And so here it was, but even now, this is the contrast that the writer's doing here. He's showing that in chapter 3, 9, God has a right to be angry against sin. He has a right to judge the Ninevites. But when he saw him repent, he relented. But it said in verse 9 of chapter 3 that he had a fierce anger. He had a fierce anger. And this is the same verb as in chapter 4, verse 1. And the author's just showing the contrast that God has anger towards sin, but Jonah has anger toward God, which is just an interesting contrast that's occurring in the writing here. So God, we know, has a right, and he's willing, and he's willing in that case. And so when we're understanding this, that selfishness is, is abiding here. Selfishness is pulling us out. And so it's, it's important to look at verse 2 as well, because as we look at verse 2, just follow with me in verse 2, because he says, and he prayed to the Lord. Well, it's interesting, prayed. I don't know if he was really praying. I think he was complaining. I don't see this. See, prayer is being an intercessory, being an advocate, jumping in and praying for someone. What was he praying for? Was he trying to get God to give in to his demands? Was he praying, hoping that God would see it the way he saw it? You know, praying is a very important word there. Now, look, look in chapter 2 now. I just want to show chapter 2, verse 4. Remember when he was in the belly of the fish? And it says this in verse 4. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet shall again look upon your holy temple. Meaning he's hurting. He's in the belly of a fish. He should die, but he's looking to the presence of God for help. Is he looking for help in verse 2 of chapter 4? I really don't think so. Look at verse 7 now of chapter 2. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. So here he was just simply saying that in his prayer, he was crying out to God. And we'll turn back to chapter 2, verse 7 in a moment. That's what was happening. See, in verse 2 of chapter 4, the I is mentioned four times. My is mentioned once. Five times he's making reference. He's making reference to himself. And I just want to go back and read this to you for just a minute and say this. Watch how he says it. He goes on. He goes, oh, Lord, is it not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding and steadfast and relenting from disaster. I mean, that's what, again, he knew it, my country. He knew it. He was selfish. He was focused on his short-sightedness of what he wanted. So you know when you're on the right route, when you're about God's sovereign plan, whether it makes it uncomfortable for you or not, whether you have to change your plans 
for the sake of the gospel, whether you have to change your plans to reach someone who's far away from God, whether you have to change your plans and start making plans to talk to your neighbor or your coworker or someone in your family member, when you have to change your plans and saying, this hobby of mine is not more important than reaching someone for the kingdom of God. See, I challenge you as I challenge myself, is your schedule so, so busy, so consumed with your own things that you may be missing out on the opportunity to be about God's sovereign plan to reach those who are far away from God. See, if God's pursuit of sinners is his GPS, it should be ours as well. So when we're taking the route, which one do you want to take? Do you want to take the one with Jonah, get angry, be about selfishness and pride and be short-sighted? Or you want to take on the route of being about God's sovereign plan? That's so important for us to grasp. Verse three, it says, therefore now, Oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better to me to die than to live. Meaning it was a victim role. It was emotion-based. It's all I, 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 my, and I just want to die now. Take my life, Lord, from me. Because now what you're doing, I'm not pleased with it. Therefore, I might as well die because I'm not joining you. I'm not going to join your plan. I'm tired of it. These people deserve to be either going to hell or far away from you, eternally separated from you. And I don't want to join your plan. Jonah was in depth, in his depths of anger, selfishness, and pride. And then the Lord, of course, the Lord Almighty God just simply asked the question, do you do well to be angry? <laughs> do you, did you do well? Meaning, does this make you well? Is it good and pleasing? The Hebrew means, the word well means, is it good and pleasing for you to be angry at me? Is it good and pleasing for you to be displeased with me because I want to reach those who are far away from me, who are wicked and evil, because I want to draw them and rescue them from their position of being far away from me so they can be forgiven of their sin? Is it so bad of me? Am I that evil? Jonah was a prophet. Let me remind you, he was a man who went around sharing the message that God gave to him, yet he was willing to take that route. Number two. God's love surpasses our luxuries. We know we're choosing the right and correct route when God's love surpasses our luxuries. Now, I use this word luxuries because it's the idea of, of pleasing self, the, the delights, the delights and comforts of life. Um, when some scholars believe that Jonah departed from Nineveh after the pronouncement that rested on the east side of the city, to what God was going to do. So it was possible a good location on high elevation to see the destruction occur. So if he's saying, let me see, this is what he might be saying, let me watch while God destroys these wicked people. So in verse five, if you, if you look at it with me, it says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth. Now a booth, as I read in a commentary here, which is a helpful one, the booth is a hut. It was a crude shelter that provided only slight assistance in deflecting the hot Assyrian sun. It was a tent. There were big leaves that would be placed, like four markers, four sticks, and then you would just place leaves across to kind of tie it up and hold it as just a covering from the sun. It was used as the structures of leafy branches made for the Feast of Tabernacles so the making these booths or huts was a familiar occupation with the Hebrews. So the booths were constructed primarily of interfacing these branches of trees. After construction, 
his temporary dwelling place, Jonah sat under its partial shadow and watched and waited. So that's what he was doing. He was sitting under this booth. He was prepared and he was waiting to see what God was going to do. But God brings forth an object lesson in verse six. And this is key because he's trying to show him what true love is by displaying to him an object lesson. Let me just read it to you. Now the Lord appointed. Now we know that word appointed in chapter 117 when he appointed the big fish. Here God is appointing a plant. Now it's important to understand the plant is going to be a key player in this whole part of narrative and episode in chapter 4. So now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. The word save is rescue. It's rescuing, physically rescuing him from the hot sun, physically helping him to be comfortable because he's sitting out there. Now, why was he sitting out there? He was just waiting for God to destroy the Ninevites, but that wasn't God's sovereign plan. See, God's love expands and extends beyond that. His unconditional love is that he wants to reach those who are called his enemies. And you and I who were once his enemies because we were without Christ, he came and reached out to us. And now what he's doing in verse 6 is he's showing love to Jonah, even though Jonah has called him evil because he was displeased with him. Even though Jonah refuses to join this sovereign plan, even though Jonah refuses to repent, God continues to show his mercy and his grace and his compassion on Jonah. So he saves him and rescues him. And now watch it. The word discomfort actually means the word evil. So he's saving him from his evil place, his evil mentality, from his place of just being evil. So when Jonah calls God evil, really God's saying, I'm the one who can save you from your evil. You can call me evil all you want. I'll never be evil. I'm God, holy. But I'm going to save you from your discomfort And here's how Jonah responded. Now watch this now. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So he was displeased with the Lord exceedingly and was angry and became hot because God has compassion for the Ninevites, but he becomes exceedingly happy and rejoicing in the delight of having this plant that could protect him from the hot sun. So what he's saying is that God, when you give me comfort, when you give me mercy and grace, I'm good. When you want to give mercy and grace and, and, and you want to be compassionate towards someone else, nah, that ain't going to work for me. I'm not going to like you for that. Do you ever think that maybe it's possible that we think like that sometimes? You ever think that maybe it's possible? I know that would seem a little unfair to say, but I think sometimes I could have those thoughts. When God blesses others but doesn't bless me. When God even blesses an unbeliever, with material goods, and they're able to extend and go out and have so much money. And yet I'd look at myself and say, Lord, why do we struggle at times? And see, it's a wrong thought. It's wrong to even consider it. But sometimes in our flesh, we fall into that trap. Now, I'm not advocating to go down this route that Jonah's going down, but God's love extends beyond even when people mistreat us. See, I really believe God's love has to surpass our delights and luxuries, our comforts, the things we do so we can be comfortable. Sometimes so comfortable that we don't want to reach those who are far away from God. And see, is it wrong to have some comforts in life? No, I just want to share with you real quick by just identifying it's wrong 
if we basking in it, we find security in it. Look with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 19 in the parable of the rich fool. When Jesus himself said, and all I will say to my soul, he's saying about the person in the parable, the rich fool says, so you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, most would say this is from Ecclesiastes. And he's doing it with the intention of having his comforts and his luxuries by storing up his goods, not thinking about anyone else, just thinking about himself. So it's, it's not good when we're thinking about our own luxuries for our own self-pleasure so that we could have comforts for ourselves and not care about anyone else. Because even in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 24, it says this, there is nothing, Solomon says, better for a person that, that, than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in this toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. Meaning if you work hard, you work day and night to take care of your family. So there's food on the table, clothes on the back, a roof over your head. He's saying, enjoy that because you worked real hard for it. And God, that is by the hand of God that he's provided that for you. But he's not saying to sit in it, bask in it and saying, this is what I should do. Just be comfortable in my own material possessions and my delights and my luxuries. That's not what God's calling us to. Even in chapter two, verse 26 Solomon went on to say this, for to the one who pleases God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. So it's important for us to understand that God honors, he's pleased when we do what what we have for his honor and his glory. But even though the writer Solomon says this, this also is vanity and striving after the wind. Meaning in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's all vanity unless you focus on the Lord. So as you look at this and you see that, when do we know we're taking the correct route? Well, we first said because God's sovereign plans surpass our short-sightedness, selfishness. And God, number two, God's love surpasses our luxuries. Number three, God's loving discipline surpasses our personal or person, yeah, personal delights. And so it's God's discipline. So in the object lesson in verse six, he brings forth delight. He offers comfort to Jonah to show him that, hey, I'll give you a plant and I'll comfort you for the moment, even in your evil attitude, even in your anger, I'm going to comfort you. But now in verse seven, we notice that a day later, God decides and he, it says, but when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. So he first appointed and had a plant come. Now he appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. No longer was the plant existing the next day. So when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah. So he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. So importantly enough, when you're looking at this, you have to first look at it from the standpoint of that God is disciplining him with the purpose to love him. And understandably too, that Jonah's crying out because actually the hot sun was unbearable for the person who was in Assyria of that time. In fact, I want to share with you that in a commentary, I love what this, this Scholar said in a commentary as he, he laid out why Jonah was uncomfortable. He says, losing precious shade in a harsh environment was no matter for Jonah. 
Experiencing this horrible wind was yet another. Most identify this wind as a Sirocco. When the wind is experienced in the Near East, the temperature rises dramatically and the humidity drops quickly. It is a constant and extremely hot wind that contains fine particles of dust. It contains constant hot air so full of positive ions that it affects the levels of serotonin and other brain neurotransmitters, causing exhaustion, depression, feelings of unreality, and occasionally bizarre behavior. In some Muslim countries, the punishment for a crime committed while the Sirocco was blowing may have been reduced at judicial discretion. So strongly does the prolonged hot wind affect thinking and actions. So what was happening was that his cry of complaint was understandable, but God still wanted to show at the depths of his being his ridiculous perspective in wanting this plant to exist far better than the Ninevites. See, God was trying to give him this particular place of where he would say, okay, you know what? I'm going to faint. I'm not going to be able to exist. You know, his bizarre behavior, I don't believe it was just the Sirocco, the wind, but I think it was because of his heart and the depths of his being wasn't willing to join the sovereign plan of God. He didn't even want to receive God's discipline in this time. And he, and it says even in verse eight that he went faint and that he, as he went faint, It has to ask the question. He just wanted to die, meaning another victim role like in verse three and four. So what was his attitude? In the belly of a fish. As I shared earlier in in Jonah 2, 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. He remembered God. Here he's not remembering God. He's angry. He's frustrated. He's complaining. He was fainting away and dying in the belly of a fish. He could have easily potentially died in this hot, scorching sun where the winds were coming on him and making it even hotter. But yet the two different attitudes tells you that he was fed up. He had enough and he was fighting God. He says, I'm not giving in anymore. I'm tired of seeing these wicked, evil people have an opportunity because now it's become real. God has relented. The judgment no longer is coming. God has made it clear he wants to reach them. But Jonah was upset. See, the Lord was disciplining Jonah to get him to return to him because he loves Jonah. But Jonah was interested in his own personal delights, in his comfort, in those things which made him feel better about himself. See, we don't like to hear the word repentance because it means we did something wrong and the light is on us. It's exposing our wrong. We don't like the word discipline because discipline means that now God is going to punish us when really he's correcting us. And so when God says he loves us, it's because he's not out to punish us when he disciplines us. He wants to correct us. And God wants to correct Jonah by bringing him back to the proper root. And that root is getting on the road to him. But when a person believes he or she is alone and doesn't trust the Lord and claims him to be evil, then you know what? He sees God or she sees God as an opponent. And in this case, Jonah saw God as an opponent, as an enemy, as the one who abandoned him, the one who won't fulfill what he wants 
That's important to understand because we know in Hebrews 12, 7, it says this, it is for the, it is for discipline that you should have to endure. God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? I mean, he just, another one, he says that he loves those whom he disciplines. And so God loves Jonah and he still wants to reach him even in his evil attitude, even though he sees him as an opponent. Remember, never forget this. That no matter what, we're saved by grace, but yet we were once his enemies. And we can never forget that because it's so important for us to reach those who are far away from God. That it wasn't for the grace of God who offered his son that we could have an opportunity to have a relationship with him and be forgiven of our sin and have the assurance of eternal life. And to know that we will have the promise of resurrecting with him after we die. It's all but grace, compassion and mercy and love. And that's what God was doing here. Lastly, this. We know we're choosing the correct route when God's compassion for the contemptible surpasses our campaigning for personal crusades. Now, that's wordsmithy there, but let me share. See, God's compassion means that we have to love people when they mistreat us. God's compassion, we have to love our enemies. God's compassion is we are to love those who are far away from God. God's compassion doesn't mean it's a weak message. It doesn't mean people are not held accountable. What it does tells us is that God has a compassion for the contemptible, meaning those who are unworthy, who are not to be reached, for those who don't deserve it. And that's what God was doing here. God wanted to reach and he continued to pursue sinners, which were the Ninevites in this story. And God's calling each one of us. And that must surpass our, our God's compassion for the contemptible must surpass our campaigning for personal crusades. Now look at Jonah, look at verse nine. Look what he's doing. He says, for God said to Jonah, do you do well again to be angry for the plant? First, he was angry against the Ninevites. Now he's angry because the plant was removed from him. So he's on this personal campaign and a crusade is saying, God, you're wrong. Why'd you take the plant away from me? And he said, yes, he responds. See, the first time in chat in verse four, he didn't respond, but now we see a response from Jonah and he's emphatic. And he says, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Mm. Like he's so angry that he's saying, God, I'm fighting you over this one, over a plant, over his comforts, over because he was discomforted. He's mad at God because he took a plant away. And this started verse 10 and 11. And the Lord said, you pity the plant? Meaning in the Hebrew, it means you have concern. You're troubled. You look compassionately towards a plant. You're troubled over a plant for which you did not labor, nor did you grow it, which came into a being at night and perished in the night. And he goes, and should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which you There are more than 120,000 persons, which scholars would believe there's even more than that because that might just be people, not wives or children. Well, let's just say 120, as I said, 600,000, who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. So God ended this whole book, this whole story to say, do not I have the right to pursue sinners and to compassionately want to reach out to them and love them with grace? Yet you have no interest in that, and you're only interested in a plant. And I created that plant, and I had it to die, and I appointed it. And now I come to you and say, 
you're still angry? You're still seeing me as evil because I want to reach those who are far away? I'm troubled because someone who is evil and wicked is far away from me and I want to bring them to me and return them to me and that they could come to faith in knowing who I am, the Yahweh God of Israel, the self-existing God, and you're more interested in a plant? That is troubling. God was trying to get Jonah to get back to the road of recovery, the root that was important, that root of being compassionate and loving and merciful and gracious to those who are far away. But instead, he kept choosing this root of selfishness and anger. And he continued. This mindset is a short-sighted, selfish mindset. He was just campaigning for his view to be correct. He was fighting God. He was like, I am not going to give in until you destroy them. You promised you would destroy them. Instead, you decided to relent. I mean, God was showing nothing but great concern. See, nothing was good enough for Jonah. Even a commentator said this, neither would Jonah wish to be living under the governance of free grace, nor was he prepared to live under a government without grace. He didn't want it either way. He was angry at them, at God for being gracious. He was angry at God for taking away the plant. It just, nothing worked for Jonah. He was just selfish and angry. He had no concern. But the Lord ends this book with a question, but leaves us with enough to say that Jonah did not repent. He wasn't troubled for those who are far away from God. God even said, you're concerned about a plant, and even the cattle are far more important than a plant because they're at least breathing in a different way and providing a source for humans to eat. I mean, it's, it's unfathomable to think and look at this, but we sure enough need to take this route, this route that is offered to us, God's compassion for those who are far away rather than the root of selfishness. So let me ask you this. Let me just give you this. Are you troubled about those who are far away from God? Let me just ask you that question to end this time. Let me ask you another question. What's your plant that troubles you? What's the plant that's keeping you away? What's that plant that Jonah was so angry about? What's your plant? I want you to think about that for just a moment. What's stopping you from really reaching those who are far away from God? What are you holding on to is pretty much what it's saying. And who are you troubled for? Are you troubled for a neighbor, coworker, family member? Are you troubled that maybe you might be hating and angry at someone who's a politician and you don't even know the person? Maybe you're just angry at a political party, angry in how people try to carry out their narrative. I want to encourage you and check your heart. Just check it because we're not going to make a difference for the kingdom of God as a body of Christ here at Grace Church, if we don't truly get on his page by grabbing his heart, God's heart, and reaching those who are far away. We're going in that direction. We're moving forward for the kingdom of God. We want to focus on reaching those who are far away from God. We have seen in the last five or six months that the church is not a building. We have seen in the last five or six months that the church is us, being the church wherever we go. You might say, well, Bruno, we can't go anywhere because we're under COVID. That's okay. You still can be the church. 
The other day I was outside in my neighborhood and my son went out. A tree fell in front of one of my neighbor's front yards. Never met them yet because I've been so busy, caught up in my own little world, stuffing my schedule and just forgot to go over there and say hello. Well, my son went over there to help our neighbor. And as he was, I got outside, looked, saw my son, and I walked over and said hello to them. Shortly after we helped him collect a branch, I said, let me come and help you. And we did. And after we did, we start talking. And he actually attends another Christian church in the local area. They're believers. But whether they're believers or not, it didn't bother me. I just wanted to reach them. I wanted to be neighborly. I wanted to start a conversation. I wanted to start a relationship. How about you? What's troubling you? I want to encourage you. I hope what's troubling you is that you haven't been looking to reach those who are far away from God, because I'm struggling with the same thing. But we as a church, Grace Church, will continue to do that. Let me pray for you um, is that God will give you a heart for that. Father, I pray today that whatever is our plant that's stopping us from seeing your compassion, from seeing you and what you can do, God, we just pray that you would tr- just put a, a heart of compassion to see with your eyes those who are far away from you. God, remove that plant. and In fact, help us not to even hold on to that plant, whatever that is. But Lord, I pray you'll give us a troubled heart, concern for those who are neighbors, our coworkers, or family members. Help us to reach them. Lord, we need to see a change. In fact, I pray this week we'll write the name down of a neighbor or an address and saying, I want to reach that neighbor this week. I want to say hello to them. Or I want to ask them, what can I do for them? Lord, I pray that you would help us as we leave the book of Jonah. May you encourage us to be about reaching those who are far away from you. Your pursuit of sinners is our desire to want to reach those who are far away from you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for what you're already going to do in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you in a couple of weeks and uh, continue moving forward for the kingdom of God.